This is The Kingdom at Hand from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota, and I am Pastor Joe Faldette. We have worship at 9.30 a.m. during the summertime. We can be found online at hosannafreelutheran.com and in podcast format on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app as The Kingdom at Hand. All right, Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19, and I read in Jesus' name, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this prayer. Thank you for this text. And we pray now as we come to study it, Lord, in worship of you, Lord, that you would be glorified through it and that you would reveal yourself to us, Lord, that we might know you better. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So today is Father's Day, and it's funny that this that we're hitting on this text on Father's Day because we're talking about you know what it what it means to be a father, but what it means to be a father really from a a high aspect, a, a really you know we're looking at the fatherhood of God, and that comes applied to what it means for me to be a, a dad. It's, it's been remarkable being a father. You know, I think about the, the pastor who, when he had his, his first child, held him in his arms and said, what a, little, what a beautiful little bundle of sermon illustrations. And, and that's what they are to some degree. We try to maintain the positive. Um, but it never ceases to amaze me how much my children imitate me and look like me and sometimes sadly act like me. And, you know, and what are they doing? They're imitating their father. You know, because they look to us as parents to try to figure out how in the world do you interact in this world? Because it's not, it's not self-evident. You know, how do you interact with food? How do you interact with people? Why do we get all these differences? Well, we get all these differences because there's differences in parents. And that comes down to the children. And so that's, that's really what fatherhood to a powerful degree is. And as Paul talks about, speaks here, he says, for this reason, and the this points forward, not backwards. Um, we'll get into that in the next uh, point. But for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And if you note, where it says family there, there's a little letter, or number three. And that brings you down into a footnote, and it says, or fatherhood. The Greek word patria is closely related to the word for father in verse 14. Paul has a pun. <laughs> Praise God, that gives me the right to have puns. <laughs> and so, as Paul speaks here, and he uses this word patria, he's using the word, and not the normal word for dad. You know, from whom all fatherhood is named 
So I look to God the Father from whom all fatherhood is named. And what Paul is saying here is that God is the originator of all of these things. God is the Father. There's an article there in the Greek. He means Father par excellence. The Father that is above in such an excellent and amazing way that all other things that exist in this world come from Him. And so, when Paul then uses this word patria, this next one, he is actually saying, not from whom, you know, we get all of our names. He doesn't say, well, you know, somewhere along the line, and this is what I used to think, and I never really knew how to explain this, but I used to think that this meant that all of our names somehow related back to God. Why would Paul say that? Well, that's because I was wrong. <laughs> Yes, you can record that. Make a note. It has happened. This word patria isn't speaking about our ancestor father, but our father as in the one who guides us. The one who, who has lived their life in such a way that we seek to imitate them. You know, that is our father. So as, as a pastor, who is my father? Well, I've got my dad. And in some ways, you know, being an owner of a business, he was kind of like a pastor to some of his guys. You know, who guided me in being a pastor? Well, I think of Pastor Melgren and Pastor Tura. And I think of Pastor Moan and I think of Pastor Haugen. And, you know, why, why do I lead Bible studies the way I lead them? Well, that was to a good degree because of Pastor Haugen. And these men were fathers to me. In that, they, were the one, they are the ones that I look to as to how to teach, how to lead, how to pastor. So they are my fathers. How do we, and so everything in our lives, we didn't come out of the womb just understanding this stuff, or at least I didn't, and I'm still learning so much. How do we know how to interact with this world that God has made? We look for examples that can be fathers to us. And that's what this means. From whom every guiding person is named. And that, that word named, this, this means that how do we know who's our proper guiding people? Because there's all sorts of people that are trying to lead us, right? I was reading this morning... Um, after I, I'd done my devotions, I was uh, keeping up on a couple of blogs, and I was reading by this, this guy named Paul Sellers, who does hand-tool woodworking. And he has a blog, and in his blog, he was talking about how being a hand-tool woodworker has given him so much purpose in his life. And it's like, you know, that's, that's interesting. Would he be a proper person to follow for purpose? No, because that, that's not what God represents. You know, when it comes to hand tool woodworking, this guy is astonishing, and that's why I read his stuff. But when it comes to how do we find purpose in this world, that's not what God says. We don't find purpose in the things that we make in this world. We find purpose in God. And so then I have to look somewhere else, because God didn't put his name on what Paul Sellers said. God put his name on 
what a lady named Margaret Lindell said, or Paul Lindell for that matter. These are World Mission Prayer League people. What did they say? My life is the most fulfilled the more that I follow Jesus. God says, I put my name on that. That's true purpose. The closer I walk with Jesus, the more satisfaction I have. God says, that's right. That echoes throughout all eternity. God says, that is the one that represents me. Hand tool, woodworking, you know, you're creating stuff, and so it kind of echoes. But you missed me. Paul Lindell, that one echoes. That one, that's God. And that's how we grow. That's how we grow uniquely and individually is by looking at God and saying, okay, how does God do this? How does God communicate? How, you know, I know how dad communicates. I know how mom communicates. Is that the way that God communicates? And I'm not saying that what they did was wrong. I'm just saying, is this how God would have me deal with it? And so we go through the aspects of our lives asking the question constantly, is this how God would have me do it? And if it isn't how God would have me do it, then I say, okay, God, I need someone to guide me. We look to people as examples who have walked before us. That's the fatherhood that God is talking about. And God is the great father from whom all of these people are ultimately named. If anybody's worthy of being followed, what they do is going to be an echo of what God does. So that's how we know. Because we find in them that which God has done. We find them practicing it and applying it and understanding it. And so then we can do that too. So this is what fatherhood means. This is what God as father means. So Paul prays. Paul prays because he knows that this stuff, this idea of imitating God is too big. It's too big for us. Paul acts as a father to us in this manner. Because you know what? Paul says, this stuff's too big for me. So I pray. Because God is my father, so I ask God. And so when we run into something that's too big, what should we do? Well, you know what? I'm going to imitate Paul. He prayed. All right, we can do that. And he comes to God because God is the giver of all these things. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. For this reason, this is why Paul prays. Because God has the ability, God has the power, God has the willingness, and God has the stuff to grant to us. You know, I could... Come up to the Kellys and say, Cheryl, I need 15 gold bars. Cheryl would say, good for you. I don't have any. I don't, maybe you do. I should have asked beforehand. Could I have 20? No. You know, I could ask for whatever I want. I could ask Ron to teach me how to do the Olympic high dive. Ron, could you teach me how to do that? No? Why not? Probably because he can't. And so why would I ask someone for something that they don't have the capacity to give? So Paul says, hey, 
We're going to ask God. Why? Because God has the capacity to give according to the riches of His glory. And if God is the one who is the Father of all of this stuff that exists in this world, that means that that is God's glory. That's the truth about God. So then, is there anything in this world that God doesn't have the capacity to give? God, I would like to know how to be a better farmer. God says, hey, I know how to do that. God, I would like to know how to be a better pastor. God says, hey, I know how to do that. God, I'd like to be a better husband. God says, hey, I know how to do that. I know how to do that in the riches of my glory because my glory is that I am the Father over everything. That means I can do everything better than anyone else can do. Wow. So I can ask God. So Paul prays. He says, we're going to come to God because according to the riches of his glory, God is able to do everything aboundingly beyond anything that anyone else can do. Not only can God do it better, he can do it so much better that we can't even come close. So we come to God. Because he's the giver of these things. And Paul says, we need power. We need to be strengthened. Why? That's kind of weird. Why does Paul use the word power? What does that mean? I need to have power. Does that mean I need to start glowing or something like that? You know, you see these superheroes and when they finally come into their power, they usually start glowing. This word power in the Greek is a different word than our word power. It doesn't just mean the strength to do something. It contains that idea. The word there is dunamai and the idea is not just having the strength to do it, but also having the authority to do it. You now have the strength and the right Because that's hard for us to understand. That not only, and with the idea of authority, comes responsibility. So if I have the dunamai to do this, I have the strength, I have the authority, and since I'm given the authority, I have the responsibility. What's the line from Spider-Man? With great power comes great responsibility. And so if I have the strength and the authority, now I have the responsibility to do these things too. And so Paul is saying, these things need to be done. What things need to be done? Well, love needs to be done. We'll get into that in the next point. But how do we love? How do we love properly? We need God to come into us and to change our inner being. Not not our circumstances. Because isn't it easier to love people that are lovable? It's like, well, yeah, that's not hard at all. You know, that's one of the reasons why it's so great being married to Kirsten. She's not here, so I can say this. She's stupendously lovable. And it makes it really easy for me as a husband to love her. But I've met people that aren't. You guys probably haven't. And that's hard. And so Paul's not saying, God, change our circumstances. Make everyone around us lovable. Paul is saying, no, if we're going to be loving people like God loves people, we need to have our inner being changed. We need to be changed because sometimes your wife's not going to be lovable. Sometimes your husband's not going to be lovable. Sometimes your kids aren't going to be lovable. What does that mean? That means I need to change. I need to become the sort of person that's actually loving these people. And to do that, I need the power of God and I need the authority of God. The authority of God to tell my old nature, no. 
you are not right. You who are seeking retribution, you who are seeking vengeance, you who are seeking to harm, you who are malevolent, you are not in control. Holy Spirit is. That is the authority. I could tell my flesh, go away. And so we need power and we need authority in our inner being, inside, to tell our sinful nature, I'm not going to follow you. You are not my father. God is. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What does it mean to have Christ dwell in your hearts? Does it just mean to be a Christian? You know, we hear these prayers that you would ask Jesus into your heart, right? Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody needs to have Jesus living in their heart. But what does that mean? You know, does that mean that I've got, you know, if you took an x-ray of me and you x-rayed my heart, there'd be a little guy standing there? Hi? No, that's not what it means. You know, but sometimes we get these weird images that Jesus lives inside of me. Well, how does that work? This is... This is symbolism. This is a spiritual reality. If what dwells at the heart of something, what dwells at the heart of our solar system? The sun. Looks like some of you might need to stand up. No. <laughs> the sun dwells at the heart of our solar system. What does all the rest of the stuff in our solar system do in relationship to the sun? It revolves around it. And so if Jesus is in my heart, if he dwells in the center of my being, that means that everything else that I do revolves around Jesus. Have you ever heard the term lodestone? Or heard, heard the North Star called the lodestar? I don't know if people actually use those words anymore, but the idea is, if you take a compass, you take a whole bunch of compasses, and you put a really strong magnet right in the center of them, where are all those compasses going to point? Right at that magnet. Right at that lodestone. That's what they called magnets. There was lodestones. That's alchemy. But whatever. And that's the lodestar. How do we know where all the other stars are? How, how can we guide ourselves by the other stars? We first have to know where Polaris is. The lodestar. The north star. It's that way. That way's north. We need to know where that one is. And then by that one we can judge all the other stars. Once I know where that one is. So then I can know where to go. And so that's what it means for Jesus to dwell in your heart. That he would be that magnet in the center of your being. That he would be like the sun in the center of the solar system. That he would be like that theoretical black hole in the center of the galaxy. Everything else revolves around him. This is what it means for Jesus to be Lord. That he then has the determining word on everything we do. And so, why do we pray that God's power, that God's authority would enter into our hearts, that we would say no to our flesh and say yes to the Holy Spirit? Why would we do that? So that Christ may dwell in our hearts, so that Christ may be the center of everything that we do. That we would do what we do because of Him. Instead of me doing what I do in order to get money, or in order to get fame, or in order to get power, or in order to get prestige, or in order to get ease, or luxury, or whatever. That those things wouldn't be my center. 
but that Jesus would be my center and that I would live my life in worship of him with everything being done in his name for his sake, for his kingdom, that he may dwell in your lives. He may dwell in your hearts through faith as I trust him as being a lot smarter than me. How many of you think that God is actually smarter than you? Anybody here? A couple of you? Good. Well, I'm glad. If I actually think that God is smarter than me and that God is good and that God is greater, then why wouldn't I live my life according to him? You know, this is why, this is why Anton looks to me to learn how to tie knots. Right, Anton? Did daddy teach you how to tie knots? Sometimes. You know why he asks me about his knots? Because I know knots better than him. One of these days, I'm going to probably have to ask him. Why? Because then he'll learn knots better than me or whatever. You know, so we look to the person that knows things better. So then Christ dwells in our hearts. Everything we do is looking to Jesus. What does this mean? All right. That. So this is the purpose of Jesus dwelling in your hearts. Not just so that you can be saved. That's part of it. But it's going to change your life. If Jesus is the center of you, it's going to change everything you do. And it's going to change it in this way. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. And so not only would we know about the love of Christ, but that we would know it. That we would know it in a deeply personal and intimate manner. That's the word gnosko here in this word know. That we would know it like we know the back of our hand. That you would know it like you know the trip to your house. That you would know it like you know your bedroom. This is how well Christ wants us to know him. When he is our center, when we're saying no to our flesh, that he that we would then know the love of Christ because love is how we're supposed to interact with the people in this world. And that doesn't, love isn't nice. Just so you guys know, love isn't nice. Love sometimes is hard and harsh because people sometimes need hard and harsh in order to finally realize that, you know what, what I've been doing isn't right. My, my dad had to fire someone. We were talking about this last Sunday. We were sitting out on, the, out on the deck. And he had to fire someone. Someone had been working with him for a long time. Uh, well, he was, as a subcontractor, he had to fire him. And that, it was hard. But this guy wasn't doing his job. And not only wasn't he doing his job, he was making everyone else's jobs harder. And because the job that he was doing, he was doing wrong, or his guys were doing wrong, and so dad had to fire him. And he said, I hate to do it. And so we sat and talked, and I asked him, well, why did you end up doing it? He said, well, how else is he going to learn? He's being a burden on me. He's being a burden on all the other guys. He's being a burden on the guy that we're working for. He's being a burden on all of these guys. He and his crew needed to go because they were damaging all of us. But he didn't, they didn't think they were damaging anybody. They thought they were doing their job, but they weren't. But as they were talked to, he said, oh, we'll, we'll take care of it. And they never did. That's what they had to do. Had to fire them. How many of you like being fired? That's fun, right? That's just a great time to have someone say, you know what? We don't like you enough to make you leave this job. I was once almost fired from a volunteer position. That was pretty tough. <laughs> 
That was the most loving thing that dad could have done for this guy. Me being told that they were thinking about firing me from a volunteer position was the most loving thing they could have done. Because then I had to take a step back and say, all right, I'm not living this right. So what is love? Love means that you look out for the long-term best for this person. Not short-term best. That's nice. You know, I, I want people to be happy right now. Well, then you're nice to them. But if you love them, you say, you know what? We're going to be hard on you right now so that tomorrow you can be a healthier person. You know, why do doctors sometimes have to cut off a limb? Is it because they're being nice? No, it's because they're trying to keep the person from dying. It might hurt right now, but in the end it'll be better. And then as we learn to love, God promises. And this is what makes the hardship of learning to love, because love isn't easy. You know, being nice is way easier. It doesn't pay off in the end, but in the short term, it's way easier. But in the long term, it's terrible. But to love in the short term is really hard, and so God gives us a promise tied with love. And he says that this is the result of having Christ be your center, looking to God as your Father, making Christ your center, living your life in love. What's the final goal? What's the final blessing that comes from this? Verse 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. How many of you would rather be in heaven than be in hell? I would rather. This is what that means. This is that, that taste of heaven. This is the appetizer for heaven that we have here in this world. Being filled with God. Because that's what heaven is, right? I can only imagine. I won't have my flesh anymore. I won't have sin to deal with. I won't have um, stubborn people to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, including myself. Um, I'll get to be with God. Living freely. And that's what this is talking about. Living and being filled with the fullness of God. This is that. Have you ever, have any of you ever been to a movie? And you're watching the trailers ahead of time. Thinking, oh, these trailers are pretty terrible. You know, usually when you have really bad trailers, that means the movie is going to be really bad. <laughs> if you go to a meal and you have an appetizer, and that appetizer doesn't taste good at all, what's going to happen to that meal? It's probably going to be bad. What happens if they're really good? Then that just gets you all the more excited for that which is to come. And that is what God is promising us here. God is your Father. He is the one who's created each and every one of you with each and every one of your quirks, your, you know, your eccentricities. All of them are created by God. You want to know how to live those out properly? Look to God. And He will have put people in your life to guide you in those things. And as we look to God... We make Him the center of our life, being rooted and grounded in love, living out love so that we might be filled with God. Because if we're not living out love, what are we living out? Hatred. Sin. We're living for our flesh. We're living for our flesh. We're not being filled with God. We're being filled with something that's other. So then we 
seek Christ as our center. We repent of those things. That's the power that Paul is talking about, the authority to say, I'm not going to walk that way. I'm going to walk in Christ. I'm going to walk in love that I might be filled with the love of God. Does that make sense? This is what Paul is praying for the people of Ephesus. This is what we need. This is how we are to live our lives in this world. Loving those who are around us. That we might see God in his fullness. So that this world might see God better. Because you know what? They don't know the love of Christ at all. They don't look to God as their father. You know, they might look to Trump as their father. They might look to Karl Marx as their father. They might look, who knows to whom they look. Maybe they look to people on TV. Isn't that a terrifying thought? That people are living their lives according to what they see on sitcoms? We need God. He's actually a good father. Amen.